Hello, listeners. This is DJ Blackout. You're listening to Radio Blackout here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. The show is about to end. Up next is Living Writers. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we've been playing some sets, some live sets from uh, the Do the Stanky Leg party that happened last Saturday at 1019 Packard Street. We started off with Solid Liquid, followed up with Snag 2, took a little departure to the night before, a live set by Carnatic Big Band at the Student Center on September 11th, and right now we're currently listening to Korg Borgler, his live DJ set from the Do the Stanky Leg Party um, on Saturday. So, the end of the show is near, and I will get off the mic. Thanks for everyone who called in, who listened, and we'll see you next week. Same time, same place, here at WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. Listening to Living Writers, I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, welcome to Christopher Schmidt. Thank welcome. you, T. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> well, it's it's lovely to yeah, see you, Chris, you. and and um, and we're we've got your book, the next in line, in front of us, mm-hmm. um, out by Slope Slope Editions Press, and it was actually the the winner mm-hmm. uh, in 2007 of the mm-hmm. their book prize, Slope Editions yeah. book prize. Sure was, and. Um, <laughs> And stay tuned for further further award <laughs> notification. 
<laughs> from Chris Schmidt. Um, that was Grizzly Bear, Chris. Mm-hmm. You you chose that as our our lead-in song. I did. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited because they're going to be playing here in Ann Arbor, right? The the University Musical Society on September 26th, I believe. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty that's, sure that's. I, I'm sure. Alex, I'm pretty sure that's Alex correct. Alex Bellhodge, the engineer, is going to check that out right <laughs> Big now. Big <laughs> advertisement no. for for Grizzly Bear. Unexpected advertisement. But, yeah. Exactly, but that's yeah. what radio is about, yeah. right? We yeah. got to get the music, the word out yeah. about poems. Music. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, uh, just just by way of introduction, I'm going to read the short bio on on uh, the back of Chris's book, the next in line, the book. Here goes. Christopher Schmidt studies at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York and teaches at Hunter College. He lives in Brooklyn. And we're here to tell you today that all of that is wrong. Because <laughs> this was published in 2008, the book. And a lot has changed since then. Yeah. For example, Ann Arbor is in the picture now. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I moved here to Ann Arbor um, about two weeks ago, two and a half, three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and I'm teaching now at the university. So and, yeah. and working at, at Sweetland. Sweetland Writing Center with UT, my, my colleague there. That's yeah. right. So you know where to find us <laughs> exactly. now. Exactly. On the first floor of Angel. <laughs> Angel Hall. Angel yeah. Hall. That's right. And where the angels are. That's right. And how 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 are you? How long did you live in Brooklyn? Because that's where you went for your um, to pursue to write your dissertation. Yeah, that's correct. So I've been in I've been in I was in New York for about twelve years. Um, I've been there. Yeah. So after after I graduated as a as an undergraduate, I went to New York and I worked for several years in magazines and yeah. Tell us about your your past. It was yeah. design work. And... Yeah. So I, I after I graduated, even when I was still in college, I had an internship at the New Yorker magazine. And um, worked there then for three or four years after I graduated college. So that was like a really exciting and very New York place to be. Yeah, and and yeah. how and you came. You were born and raised in North Dakota. Yeah. So how did a Dakota huh. Um, huh. youth make it over to the big city? Chris? Yeah. Can you and and you're a poet. So yeah. Were you hitchhiking? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I wasn't. I didn't really discover myself as a poet until I was in college. I went. Um, I went to Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut. And yeah, how did it happen then? I had a great teacher. I had a, um, his name is Wayne Kustenbaum, and I, he's he's um, he's written a nice little blurb for me on the back of my book. And he's also he was also my graduate school mentor and advisor. So I, I studied with him for quite a while, like about. 10 years, including undergraduate and graduate work. Yeah. Um, with a big interval of time between those, between those two like studying experiences. And, and what was it like, was it a class that you took just because it sounded different or? It was, I mean, very similar to the, um, you know, I, somewhat similar to the, um, the freshman writing requirement here, English 125, there was an English 125 there. And um, he was one of the instructors teaching that. And he was a new, I think, assistant professor there, maybe associate professor. And he had just published this book called uh, The Queen's Throat, um, Homosexuality, um, Desire, and Opera. I, I think I'm, I'm mangling this, this subtitle a little bit, but that's, that's close. It's definitely called The Queen's Throat, and it's, it's still one of my favorite books. And I discovered it in the bookstore, I think, like maybe two weeks after I arrived there. And it really spoke to a lot of my interests and like and um feelings i mean he's talking a lot about like diva culture in that book and it and it definitely resonated with me in certain like sort of how diva well it's it's so embarrassing to talk about but um is it no it is 
It no, is. that web that web talk show you were on. Now that might have been embarrassing, and I don't know if you want to tell the listeners about that. But but yeah, t- tell, yeah. well, tell us about diva, yeah yeah diva culture. Well, so I mean, I think as a as a gay youth in North Dakota, growing up, I was you know I was ve- I felt very um, alone, and was looking for um, places in popular culture where I could identify with figures who you know would were sort of you know, flaming or performative or, you know, just really flamboyantly exciting. And one of those places where I identified was, um, was fashion, which is, it's, which, which is why I'm embarrassed to talk about it because fashion and, and poetry are so, you know, they're, they're typically hand in hand. (laughs) (laughs) Well, style certainly and poetry are hand in hand. So yeah, I I think there is like a connection. But but But, I know some ragamuffin poets. uh, I might even be one. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) The poet as rag picker. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but so I was I was I became and this is what becomes embarrassing. I became obsessed with this supermodel named Linda Evangelista, who's this very who, um, you know, many, many nice realistic, blue eyes. beautiful eyes. Yeah. A very um, masculine, androgynous look to her, which I think was also part of the appeal. And so and so, yeah, I'm not sure how we got on that subject, but but the, sort of the strangeness of that attachment to her was something that I was really interested in exploring. And Wayne's book, The Queen's Throat, was something that really resonated with me because he was talking about his diva attachments to figures like Maria Callas and other, you know, really important opera stars. And this kind of the way that these females, um, through their anger and through their, their drama, express these kind of inner turmoil that that many people, but especially gay men, might feel um, in a time when they're closeted, and so they and so the ability to see these dramas acted out on stage was something that was very exciting to me. Was yeah. so was that was that the situation then in North Dakota for you, Chris? Yeah, yeah. When you were there, yeah. I mean, and also, I mean, Wayne's book I think was also interesting because he's talking, of course, about a classical music milieu, and and I was also very involved in classical music as a as an adolescent. I played oboe in the symphony and um and so after so. hearing um <laughs> peter's wolf like okay. yeah oh absolutely yeah peter and the wolf yeah, yeah. and the oboe is i think the duck yes. right who gets eaten right but but a really yeah. c- compelling character yeah. while exactly while he yeah lasts. this kind of beautiful piquant quality of the of the oboe yeah it was something that really attracted and me and do you still yeah. do you still play i don't i sold my oboe a few years ago but i did i did play through college and it was yeah it was a really wonderful so so you yeah. were in north dakota and north and, dakota. and yeah. not um and so not necessarily even writing like were you yeah. did you do any form of writing or were you more um like kind of close did what were yeah. your outlets then yeah. your creative outlets or did it happen literally when you you found a way to get to to New York yeah. City study. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, certainly I was I was I was writing, but, but it hadn't oh, taken yeah. the form of poetry yet. But my connection with poetry then, and I think that's that's why it's something that 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 resonated with me later and continues to resonate with me, was because I, again, this is so dorky and embarrassing to talk about, but um, I did these kind of like forensic. Um, uh, not, in the, not in the scientific sense, but in terms of like speech and debate tournaments where I would compete in poetry interpretation. And so I would, you know, you would get, sometimes it would be extemporaneous and they would give you like a poem by Sylvia Plath. And then you would get up in front of a room and like read the poem in this very, you know, dramatic, dramatic. compelling way or mysterious, you know, and um, 
And I remember like one of the, you know, I mean, some of the poems were really bad. I remember for a while I was reading like this Conrad Aiken poem, who was this kind of forgotten modernist, like sort of the T.S. Eliot's kind of um, middle brow cousin or, you know, of sorts. And um, but but definitely, I think reading the poetry and, you know, memorizing the poems was something that even though I wasn't writing them at that point, like the forms were something that I was absorbing. And then also, I think performing was also something that sort of connected with me and connected with my other interests in in music and theater. So yeah, so that I think the poetry kind of emerged later, but had this kind of this I had this formative experience with it in high school. Yeah. Yes. And then and now it seems like well then you went to Yale mm-hmm. and you took this class and you began mm-hmm. writing. Mm-hmm. Um and so and it took the the form of poems yeah. To begin with, yeah. Well, I mean, it was. It, I mean, this. I mean, this is something like now that I'm a teacher, mm-hmm. I often have my students do imitations of of works that we read because that's actually how my my interest in writing poetry came about. It was not that I took a poetry writing class, but I took a poetry, you know, like a literary criticism class where we were studying, you know, the great poets from, you know, I think Milton to Emily Dickinson or you know some sort of like you know arbitrary time period, and. And Wayne Kestenbaum would have me, you know, would have us students not just writing about the poems, but writing sort of miniature poems in imitation of the different poets that we read. And that to me was like an electric experience where my interest in poetry really came alive. And that's something that I that I try to do in my classes as well, is to have students like emulate the different forms that we're reading, whether it's essays or poems or whatnot. Yeah. Because then you're actually in it because you're taking it apart to exactly. understand it part bit yeah. by bit. Yeah, and, Im- and imitating and, it yes. in a way, yeah, and, and putting your voice in, an, you know, another person's style. So, yeah, and this, this idea of, like, inhabiting styles or inhabiting, you know, clothing or inhabiting different personae, yeah, is something that, that was is an interest that was with me and I think was, you know, is an interest that a lot of gay men, not exclusively, of course, but a lot of gay men share this idea of, like, you know, putting on the mask to tell the truth, which is like the slogan of the Mattachine Society, which was like one of the first gay rights organizations in the 50s. And so I like this idea of like putting on masks and and sort of speaking through them, like whether it's the mask of like, you know, some an, an opera diva or a supermodel or like, you know, a, the, a voice like Sylvia Plath's or Emily Dickinson's. Or, or a voice yeah. on your blog, perhaps. Yeah. Is that a different... Is that- it, would you say that's a mask of a voice? Yeah, because absolutely. You, you speak about, or the writer of the blog yeah. um, speaks about the persona of the blog as the next in line as mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> well, let's hear more. Maybe we'll, we'll hear a poem okay. from your book, sure. Chris, when you come back. We'll take okay. a short break. When okay. we come back, we'll both be here. Um, today on Living Writers, I'm so happy to have Christopher Schmidt here. His book, The Next in Line. Uh, we'll take a short break and we'll be back. Thank you. 
Welcome back. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on Living Writers, we have Christopher Schmidt here uh, in the studio. His book, The Next in Line from Slope Editions. Um, so, Chris, mm-hmm. we've been filling in parts of your biography, updating it. So, mm-hmm. um, let's. would you mind reading us a poem now? Sure, Wait, I would love to. Okay, okay. we'll okay. have a poem then. <laughs> okay. This is a poem called By the Sea, and it's a, a, a chazal or guzzle, which is a Persian form in which in which the the end of the of, of these different couplets is repeated so you'll probably hear the same phrase repeated but each time a little bit twisted okay by the sea what kind of sauce is by the sea sticky dog penned pages by the sea merman man peter's town lansbury vocally's memorial in by the sea stein to alice Baby, let's be regular, finding bottom nature by the sea. Sweet sweat pages, shore odes genius perspiration by the sea. Marie, betrothed from Austria, I've been to paradise, but never by the sea. Euro Disney draws out the incontinent, Mickey leaks on Goofy by the sea. Pat prefers beaches and mountains. Darling, no such thing as by the sea. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> um, so, so you managed to get um, Gertrude and mm-hmm. Alice B. To- Gertrude mm-hmm. Stein and Alice mm-hmm. B. Toklas in there, mm-hmm. and so that reminds me that your 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 dissertation mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. has this wonderful name. Um, <laughs> waste matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, could you tell us a little bit about that? Because you're so you're fully steeped in poetry of the 20th century, yeah. And and how that affects your own writing, yeah. that w- would be great. Yeah, I don't know if you n- know that, but I actually th- I have a chapter in the dissertation on Gertrude Stein. So, so yeah, so that was a good, that was a, a a clairvoyant connection to make tea. It was beautiful. It must be these <laughs> energy drinks. Today's living writer sponsored by free cans of venom. Of Available outside <laughs> near Angel Hall. Yeah. If we if we don't live through the program, you'll know not to drink it yourselves. Venom. Yeah. <laughs> right. But no. Back to um, the waste matters. Yeah. So I'm right. So so right. So I so I worked in magazines and and then different websites for several years and then I and then I which was taking me into interesting places but was taking me away from writing in a strange way even though I was working in environments where there was a lot of writing because at the new yorker you, you were yeah. mentioning mentioning off air yeah right? Would you, yeah, yeah. so so i was i in addition to being an english major and a writing major in college i also had sort of a graphic design minor and so when i graduated that's something that kind of it, it was much more saleable than than being an english major and so it was kind of immediately i got sort of sucked into that and of course i thought well the new yorker isn't a bad place to be you know as as a oh, as no. either a graphic designer or a um or as a you know as an aspiring writer but um it was strange and this is what we were talking about during the break is that i i actually found myself being there it kind of shut down my um you know my 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 confidence as a writer or my playfulness as a writer because i you know, looking at, you know, the sort of the marketing and the business of, of promoting the different writers that they have in the magazine and, and just kind of like, you know, the importance of the magazine and the, the, the prominence of it was, was very intimidating to me at that time. And it also was, um, 
you, you know, as some as a poet who is maybe interested in experiment more than um, the kind of like naked expression of 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 um, you know, I don't want to like malign New Yorker poetry in any way, but but um, way to wake people up by saying naked expression. Yeah, 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 <laughs> naked. Um, it was um, yeah. So I felt myself um, so in some ways like disaligned with the the ethos of the New Yorker, even though it was a very exciting and glamorous place to be. It it felt um, it didn't feel exactly like the right fit for me. And was and was difficult to, for me to like define myself as a writer while I was there. And so that's an amazing that's amazing and very grown up to like to actually uh-huh. have that realization mm-hmm. because you could get caught up in that yeah. I would imagine as well. Yeah. So so what happened next then for you? Well, so I did I did um, I went to a, a number of different um, websites um, where I worked as a designer as well, like Nerve dot com, which was like a really fun place to work because it's a website that sort of is. In, as if the New Yorker did a special issue on sex and sexuality, so it was kind of like a you know like sort of a, a more naughty version of the of the New Yorker. And then after working there for a few years, I, I really was itching to get back to my writing. So I I returned to graduate school, um, and I didn't I chose not to pursue an MFA, but to get a PhD, um, partly as a partly just thinking practically that that was in some although not necessarily true, but that was in some ways like a more practical decision that, that a PhD is a more, um, you know, marketable degree, even though it's really not in this, in this market anymore. No, very, I, no, I, very think, marketable, I think you're but... actually onto something, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, also just simply like, th- like sort of casting around for who my favorite writers and writing mentors were. And I returned to my undergraduate mentor, Wayne Kestenbaum. And so I really followed him and, and to graduate school. And he was teaching at the graduate center at the Sydney university of New York. And so it was actually the only graduate school I applied to because that was it was that was for me like the word I, I really wanted to follow him and sort of reconnect with him. You and knew who you wanted to work with. Exactly. And, yes. Yeah. Um, and then gradually studying with him, I, I sort of the, in writing about poetry and reading poetry, my own interest in writing poetry developed and I began to take poetry classes there and, you know, with other people throughout the city. And so gradually I sort of started, you know, defining myself again as a poet and putting a manuscript of poems together. And you were able to do that concurrently with working on this dissertation. Yeah. That was, because it would be interesting to see, did you feel like, because it, it, let me see here. It seems like some of the poems are almost in conversation Mm -hmm. or feeding off Mm -hmm. what you were, like the Dada and, for example, Gertrude Stein, like you said. So, like, is that... Is Absolutely. that is that what you found was happening with your work? It was sort of this conversation that was also going on with with what you were um, steeping, like yeah. your learning. Oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. And my tastes, you know, changed also in graduate school as I was reading new writers and more experimental writers like Gertrude Stein or Harriet Mullen or Kenneth Goldsmith. And, um, yeah, and I think it was that same idea of like as an undergraduate, you know, sort of like reading these works and then imitating them is something that I I felt like I was doing in graduate school as well. Like just not for a class. I was doing it for, you know, on my own. So, yeah, I think that's absolutely right um, that I was yeah putting myself in conversation and like discovering. I think it's really about like discovering how literature works by like writing through it instead of writing about it, you know. Yeah. Or, or you know, putting it on as a persona or a mask, you know, and speaking through it rather than just speaking to it. You know, so, so yeah. And, but I should say that I didn't, you know, I didn't write my dissertation at exactly the same time as I was writing the book. Like it all, you know, it's kind of like I would study for the orals. And then once I finished that, then I would write, you know, like 
you know, 20 poems or something like that while I was, you know, waiting for approval of my prospectus or something like that. Yeah. So, so it wasn't like this superhuman feat, just, it was like in the gaps and spaces of graduate school is like where the poetry happened. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so how did you come by then that <clears throat> the title is so intriguing and it mm-hmm. seems like it's, it could mean many things. <laughs> so but waste matters like what, for 20th century poetry <laughs> do you want to say a few words yeah, about that or? yeah i mean i was you don't I have was, to defend it <laughs> i was thinking that yeah i was thinking this this question might come up as it often does come up and sort of how i answer the question depends on you know the day of the week and maybe what i ate for breakfast um, so wednesday and so, i don't know <laughs> yeah but i was th- i mean i was thinking a little bit about like about fashion actually i attended um, you know, many people who are who are listening to this might know that um, Patricia Yeager is a professor here in the English department, who I haven't who I haven't even met. But um, she works a lot on waste, and so it's kind of this strange coincidence that I ended up coming here, and um, you know, being someplace where someone who's so involved in talking about waste. Um, is also working, and she and waste of, of what do you mean? Well, like you're okay, not so talking she, in an environmental sense. You're talking about a word sense or yeah, history. Well, I think I mean or... I'm talking kind of about all those categories. Um, and Patricia Yeager, I'm, I'm, and I just mentioned her because she I heard a lecture that she gave on Monday, so she's very fresh in my mind, and she really is talking about kind of like infrastructural destruction and you know environmental collapse and. The, the ways that um, American c- accumulation, you know, consumer accumulation, is in a way a, like a, a kind of creating of waste. Because every time we purchase something, it's something that's like inevitably something we're going to throw out. And so thinking about that in terms of poetry as being a place where maybe the opposite happens or where waste is recovered, I think back to like Baudelaire and his and his version of like the rag picker that that the the critic Walter Benjamin has like picked up and talked about a lot. And so this idea of like the poet as someone who's picks over like the you know the rags and the discards of society and collects them and keeps them very um you know finds new value in these discards. And I think you know the marginal status of poetry in our society is maybe one reason why poets are are drawn to this task of waste collecting. Because, um, you know, they're used to being a little bit outside of the charmed circle. And so that to me is a, that's sort of the, my beginning point in talking about waste as it affects 20th century or as it as it interacts with 20th century American poetry. And there's a there are a lot of places where that interaction happens, like in the work of A.R. Ammons. He has this great long poem called Garbage. Um, I talk about I have a chapter in my dissertation on John Ashbery and how he kind of, um, you know, his whole his whole method is about using the kind of the found the found language or the discarded language or the language we don't normally pay attention to, which are oftentimes like cliches, and he kind of dusts them off and gives them new life in his work. So those are some instances where I'm talking about like how like cultural waste and waste in language or like wasted language kind of come together in certain poets' works. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Hot that's, dog. That's yeah, amazing. That's, 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 that's the two-minute pressy of my dissertation. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now we're going to take a short break, but okay. we'll be back. And we'll hear f- more from Christopher Schmidt, his book, The Next in Line. I'm T. Hetzel. You're listening to Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. We'll be back.
Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Christopher Schmidt is here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Um, and thanks very much uh, to Brian Delaney and Alex Bell Hodge for making us sound good <laughs> and getting the music to come through both ears on our headphones. Um, <laughs> not always easy. Not an easy thing. Um, and so let's let's talk a little bit about then the kinds of writing. So you've so you've done, you've proved yourself in the academic sphere, doctor. <laughs> May I call you doctor? Yeah. Um, and so so you've done that, and uh-huh. and and you've got a, a book of poems, uh-huh. um, very experimental in nature. And uh-huh. we and we were talking earlier about how even some of the effect is is visual. So it's mm-hmm. it's good. Mm-hmm. It, it comes out by listening, but also it's mm-hmm. it's it's deepened by seeing mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also have this this blog mm. uh, w- that shares the the title of your your yeah. first book of poems, mm-hmm. thenextinline.com. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So if anyone's you know following along, <laughs> they can they can go to the site now as well. Um, and so that's that's a blog where you you have you know so another type of writing. Mm-hmm. How is that writing different yet again from what you've been doing, and what does that allow that these other um, I don't know this these other writings styles have not yeah um yeah that's an interesting question i'm uh, i'm a i'm a little bit i I, maybe everyone who has a blog is a little bit embarrassed about their blog but i'm i'm a little bit embarrassed about my blog i mean mostly mostly because i don't i i i was very excited about it for you know maybe six months and now now it becomes i think that excitement wears off and it becomes a little bit of a duty to keep you know, to keep it updated. Because was it back in June 2007 when it came out, or yeah. when did you... I mean, I think I was blogging a little bit before the the book came out. Um, and then, yeah, I've continued to blog, but then things get really busy, and then you don't have time to blog, and so... And do you feel yeah. guilty about that then? Like, I d- Yeah, I guess I feel a little bit guilty. Um, I mean, the blog is also, like, just a, a place for me to, like, keep... You know, because I do kind of other reviews of poetry for, like, I, you know, for, like Time Out New York and, like, Boston Review and things like that. And so th- that's a place... Where you know, it's just kind of like a, a place to like post your, you know, the latest update on what what you're doing in other spheres besides poetry. But yeah, I mean, I think that's like it's definitely an interesting question and in thinking about like who you're addressing and finding an audience and and having a community of readers and and yeah, all those questions come up. I think the blog started. I mean, part of it was like this sort of like you know, sort of lazy idea of like publicizing the book, you know, because any book of poetry needs publicity and support of some kind but I think it really came out of um, kind of finishing a major chunk of the dissertation which I wrote I think I wrote four chapters in one year and so that was like a really like like a big push a big push to get that out and then afterwards I felt totally exhausted by it and and felt like the the sort of like the 40 50 page you know thesis driven academic essay was such a dinosaur like it was such a dead form and wanting to do something that was more immediate and more fun and more playful, um, and so that that's where the, the blog came about. And so, in some ways, I feel like the blog is is similar is more similar to the poems in in their in their brevity and in their shortness and in their pithiness. Um, whereas, I mean, it's such a different kind of work writing something where you sit down and like maybe you craft a poem in a day or you craft a blog entry in a few hours versus a, a chapter where it involves like you know months and months of research and months of rewriting and you know this frustration and then you know all this for you know maybe a readership of like five 
people, you know, yeah. your, your dissertation advisors and then, the you know, maybe the people who might read it when you apply for a job, you know, so. Or maybe more people listening now, because I'm Absolutely. certainly intrigued <laughs> after hearing your, your earlier synopsis of it. I was. I was like, John Ashbery, yeah. check. That's that's yeah. that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and you were in one of the, you know, you wear several hats here uh-huh. at the university coming, mm-hmm. not in a fashionable way, but I'm sure you have fashionable hats. I do have some hats right. that I can that I can pull out. I was wearing a lot of hats in August, okay. so maybe I'll maybe I'll break out the hats. More to come yeah. in the winter, winter yeah. months. In. Um, but but you're also here um, for like new media classes mm-hmm. for for yeah. Sweetland Writing Center yeah. as well. And and so this does this give an outlet for the blogs? Are you going yeah. to be teaching uh, blog writings and yeah uh, yeah? I'm right and right now. I'm teaching a class. Um, it's 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 based around Google Maps of all things. And but, that's on your that's on your site yeah, as well. So, so, yeah, I started mapping or blogging about maps. Yeah, you know, which is kind of yeah a fun and unknown interest. It's kind of strange how this interest came about, like sort of nat- sort of by chance. But you know, I guess like all things that happen in your life, you look back and it does kind of make a strange sort of sense. Like thinking back to like the way that I've I've done work in both like the visual field of graphic design and the, and writing and a map is a place where where you know, visuals and writing come together on the same surface. Um, As is a blog, because in your book of poems, because I know everybody might not have a copy in front of them yet, but um, there's a, there's, um, there's a great image on the cover, but it's not when you're inside the book, Mm -hmm. you're not working from image. Whereas Mm -hmm. on your, the blog, Mm -hmm. the next in line, Mm -hmm. there's, there's images everywhere, different, different medium, Mm -hmm. but that lends itself to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think of, yeah, and I mean, this is like a little bit off topic, but just thinking about like, I feel like, so I talked about like, you know, in my dissertation, I'm thinking of like the the poem as a form of like waste management, right? But my, so that was my theory of of, poet, of poetics in like 2008 and my, my theory of poetics. Like the two, mafia? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my theory of poetics in like 2009 is like the poem is like a map because like on the map, like where the writing, you know, like where the words are, are very important. In the same way that in a poem where the words are on a page are also very important in a, in a way that I think like in prose, they're not like you can kind of reflow prose. And like, you know, if the beginning of a sentence, you know, happens to be, you know, to the left of the paragraph or to the right of the paragraph, it doesn't really matter. But in poetry, like where on the surface of the page the word appears, like it's if it's at the end of a, a line or it's at the beginning of a you know another line down the like those sort of decisions are very significant. So I'm sort of like I'm 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 imagining like my next project actually kind of like interacting in some ways with this idea of the map, like poems as maps, which is, you know, so that's sort of where my my work and my teaching are kind of coming together and going. Well, that's next. lovely. Yeah. That's like when things are, there's firing on it's, all yeah. the, uh, cylinders. Yeah, all those exciting connections that we hope that we can make in our classes. Yeah. Yes. And so and so that's a new project that's, yeah. that's on the, the deck. Does yeah. that mean also that you might... Um, would you still do you imagine or I know this is all in the abstract, mm-hmm. but that you would be using like literally words to form or or do you mean even using m- maps or types of maps or things that could appear as maps, and so including images in the next book as well yeah that's a, i mean that's i mean that's an interesting question i'm not sure- yeah I'm not sure about having i mean some of my favorite recent books of poetry do use images and do use form like I think of like Claudia. Rankines, I'm not sure how you say her last names. Don't let me be lonely, which yes. is this really beautiful, like you know, sort of um, bris- bristling 
um, indictment of many things in the contemporary world, but like uses a lot of really interesting images next to the kind of prose poems that she uses. And so that I think is, is a really interesting form, like sort of yeah, bringing the, the poetry and the images together into the same book. Yeah. And, and on your um, in blog, The mm-hmm. Next in Line, mm-hmm. I was looking at part of like some of the, your ideas and theories of maps and how you were... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, kind of uh, wondering about how people are so interested in Google Maps and Mm -hmm. in the actual, um, the way that the satellites are able to give us Mm -hmm. the actual images of Mm -hmm. places, Mm -hmm. but that we're like kind of, you know, in our rooms or or with our screens rather than, and being completely enthralled by these virtual places (laughs) that are actually real places. Right, (laughs) but that we're sort of, we're sort of... um anesthetized or like we're we're like we're subsisting it's it's like i mean not that everything is like the matrix but there yeah there's this idea that like like we're we're okay with the simulacrum of the place as presented to us by google rather than going to the actual place or that you know yeah there's this interesting idea of like does like virtual reality or you know whatever however you want to describe the internet and its relationship to the actual physical reality like what is that relationship about does the internet like does it take us away from that reality in that space or does it connect us to that space and does it reveal more about that space because we suddenly have this new access to information so that's my sort of geeky interest in in maps right now and and that's sort of informing this class that i'm teaching right now yeah and i think as poets it's it's like i think it's part of the 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 work of the poet to be like it's Mm -hmm. not okay in some level like yeah to be anesthetized or yeah um so to sort of bring bring that it's not okay yeah <laughs> back into it yeah like the poet seems I think um, Ann Carson talks about this like in who's also know, at Michigan yes. here um, in I think in one of her first books like the economy of the unlost which was which was actually not a poetry book but a like a sort of an academic book in some way about um, Paul Ceylon and a Greek poet Simonides and she talks about like some, like the poet seeing a lack at the table or some you know that the poet comes to the feast and but unlike the other people at the table the poet recognizes that there's something missing or there's something wrong with this feast so yeah I not think that, that we're all a bunch of <laughs> negative nellies though yeah yeah <laughs> you know what let's hear it. could we hear another poem sure oh, absolutely then? that would be that would be great and then we'll take a, sh- a short break and, and then we'll be sure. back to talk a bit more so this there's a the middle section of the book is called arcades polari and um, a lot of the book deals with gay identity, and Polari is this kind of um, gay lingo that was used in Britain in the mid-century, like say, like the the forties and fifties. And um, arcades, as people here in Ann Arbor might know from Nichols arcades, is like a, is sort of a like you know turn of the century Parisian um, shopping center. So this is kind of like playing on like these ideas of like fashion and gay identity and and the ruins and the idea of that like you know like shopping can be a form of like waste making so i'm going to read and i have a different little a sequence of short prose poems so i'll read one of them it's called arcades polari Two. almost at mother's breast i began assimilating we're cold they moo because we're so low fat stomachs rusted needs a muffler coat slicked with oil neck choked with rainbow duck do your heels hurt from spurring do your brains hang low so chapbooks are gay books artifact reverse the slide from books to chaps you do the math he posed with an amphora covering his bits he posed with anaphora covering his bits woman is a ruins we stock 
the peristyle. Thank you, Chris. Um, you're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. We've got Christopher Schmidt on the program today. We'll be right back. Didn't know what time it was, the lights were low, oh, oh, I leaned back on my radio, oh, oh, some cat was laying down some rock and roll out of solar Then the loud sound it seemed to fight, came back like a slow voice on a wave of fight, that one no DJ, that was hazy cosmic There's a starman waiting in the sky He'd like to come and meet us But he thinks he'd blow our minds There's a starman waiting in the sky He's told us not to blow it Cause he knows it's all worthwhile He's home Let the children lose it Let the children use it Let all the children boogie You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today Christopher Schmidt is here in the studio. His book, The Next in Line, Slope Editions Press, published 2008. Um, maybe we can start out by talking about um, the press, like what it was like mm-hmm. um, to, to win the prize. It was mm. probably a real downer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. And then sort of the design, since that's part of, like, that's your thing as yeah. well. Yeah. How much you say you had and how the book looks. Yeah. Um, um, the, working with the press was great. Um, I highly recommend other poets to um, submit manuscripts for the prize and um, work with Ethan Paquin and Chris Yankee and Jeannie Hogue. I worked with all of them closely, and they were all great to work with. Um, I actually designed the book myself, um, and um, the cover image, which you pointed to, is this, um, this image of two fingers 
walking. And it's a cl- it's a very close up, and it's this kind of like grotesque image by this photographer named John Copeland's, who was um, and maybe that part of it like it my attraction to this image is knowing a little bit about him and his background because he. Um, I guess maybe like myself a little bit had some some career shifts in his life and he was the editor of Art Forum for many many years and then after he stopped being the editor of Art Forum and stopped being a writer journalist he turned to photography and became this self-portraitist at a very advanced age like the let's say the age of like 65 or something and would take these really fascinating disturbing um, photographs of his body in you know an aged male body in close-up to the degree where um, you know, there was a kind of repulsion with the images, but there's also this like beautiful abstraction that would happen. And so like here, this image of, of the fingers in profile walking, I mean, it looks a little bit like, like the, the, the fatty part of his finger looks a little bit like a, like a butt, like, like a buttock. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so I like this play between like when you're like focusing really closely on something, how it becomes abstract and becomes something else. Because the photo itself is cropped, so you don't mm-hmm. actually see that the fingertips, like right. any part of the nail or that yeah. part of the joint yeah. of the finger. So at first you might think it's like it's like a tuber or like, you know, like a more, you know, unmentionable part of the male anatomy or, you know, any number of interesting things. And so like, there, yeah, so there is this like kind of like it's disfiguring. You might misrecognize mis- mis- it at first. It's it's erotic and repulsive at the same time. And, so. and so what, why that image for these poems? Yeah, well, I guess I was feeling, yeah, I mean, the poems, which you might not hear so much in the ones I'm reading for, you know, for the family <laughs> airtime of, of um, WCVN, um, there are a lot, you know, there is a lot of um, eroticism in the poems and but it's but it's also kind of like a a thorny eroticism like it's not you know there's a salaciousness but there's also like a distance or like a certain um, you know I certainly have play and like and and fun in the poems but then there's also this kind of maybe like pessimism about sex and eroticism in general um, and so to me, this image kind of captured that in that there was like, it's like, it's sexual and it's, it's appealing and engrossing, but it's also kind of gross. And so that to me, like sort of symbolizes what I was trying to express, I guess, about sex and sexuality in this book. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So did you come, did you have this photo, like already something that you had, you knew about and had made these connections, Chris, or, yeah. or was it something that they said, well, congratulations, uh-huh. you've won the book prize. Yeah. Um, you have a great amount of, you know, input yeah. in the design. Yeah. What do you want the cover yeah. to look like? I actually, yeah, no, I, I, I. I, you know, I was casting around for different ideas for the cover, but I, I definitely ch- 